Hello everyone, welcome to the podcast. You are listening to Pop That Mama and in this episode I'm joined by the author of Milk Fever, Megan Ross. She is with us today to share her story of the fourth trimester and postnatal depression and my god she is honest. I must say I was getting ready to tiptoe around this subject and Megan pretty much showed me straight away that she wasn't up for that. She was prepared to lay all her cards out and give us an open and honest account of the reality of postnatal depression. Guys, I will put a trigger warning. Megan does speak about her birth trauma and there is some themes of suicide. So if you are sensitive to these subjects, then either switch off now or when you find it too triggering. Enjoy listening. So in this episode, I'm joined by the incredible Megan Ross, who is a mother, writer, artist and poet. So very talented indeed. And I am honoured to have her on the podcast. Megan is most well known for her book called Milk Fever, which I'm sure we're going to speak about a bit later on in the podcast. But in this episode, Megan is going to be sharing her story and her experiences of postpartum depression. But before we go into that, let's just start with an introduction. Meg, over to you to say hi and introduce yourself. Hi, Pops. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really, really excited to be here. And hello to all you gorgeous moms and everyone listening. Yeah, my name is Megan Ross and I currently live in East London, the South African one. Um, I'm mum to a little almost six-year-old called Oliver and yeah, I'm very excited to talk about motherhood and just have a very frank conversation about, you know, all the things people don't tell you about it. Thank you so much, Meg. So shall we start by just talking about your birth experience? And I just want to reiterate, you know, I, my podcast is about spreading positive and uplifting information about birth. But I do want to say, you know, use this space to tell us your story and I'll put a trigger warning if I need to. Don't feel you need to hold back. This is this is your story to share. Okay, great. So my original birth plan was to have a water birth at home. And my pregnancy had been a bit difficult on the emotional front. So I'd had uh, quite a few stresses. I'd moved back home uh, from Thailand. So I'd moved countries. I'd moved home. I was living with my parents again. Uh, My partner and I, who are together now, were on and off then. Uh, I lost my grandfather and my dog. So kind of everything that could go wrong went wrong, but I was physically healthy. So the midwife that I went with and my gynecologist kind of gave me the all clear, you know, to um, birth at home. I didn't find uh, much support in terms of uh, social support from other people. Um, East London, which is the city I live in in South Africa, is notoriously conservative. Um, And there also aren't the facilities, I'd say, here right now, um, and especially when I gave birth to Ollie for home birthing safely, I guess. Um, And my ideal situation in my head was to give birth at a birthing center, have that whole home birth experience, but have doctors right there. But this this wasn't possible. So my midwife said everything would be fine, you know, that I was carrying beautifully. 
baby would come, it was all good. And, you know, he seemed to be a good size. Uh, and my midwife let me go until 42 weeks. And then she said, look, we really need to induce or something because I, I think baby should come out. But in saying that, I think she'd let my pregnancy go on too long uh, because no one picked up that Ollie was actually four, almost four and a half kilograms. And I was very small. I think, you know, when I fell pregnant, I was like 48 kilograms. <laughs> so that's a very small person to like get out quite a big baby. Um, so everything sort of started fine. Uh, I was at home. We had, you know, the little paddling pool. It was full of warm water. The lighting was low and my labor progressed quite quickly. Um, it all seemed to go very smoothly. I felt like I was in control of my pain and the contractions. I was handling it fine. And I really, um, you know, my, my midwife was quite careful to sort of explain the whole uh the whole aspect of like trying to keep your voice at a particular pitch when you cry or moan, you know, to not like let your, your mind know that you're panicking kind of thing. And, and all of it was going well. And I think my partner and I have different recollections over when things started to go wrong in adverted commas. But I just remember that, um, I remember that I'd got to 10 centimeters dilated very quickly. I was in active labor. And then my midwife said it was time to push. Uh, and so I pushed and an hour passed and another hour passed and he still wasn't there. And my midwife said, no, I needed to continue pushing. Um, and obviously you can imagine I was quite tired and whatever, but you know, I was quite convinced that baby was going to come now. Uh, if it was up to me and my body and how things were going, you know, I was very ready. Uh, and then I, I can't quite remember when the excruciating pain started, but something went wrong. I remember feeling this incredible, you know, sort of like gut wrenching pain in my lower abdomen, like around my pubic bone. And a couple days leading up to my birth, I'd had like, um, you know, like pubis symphysis pain. Um, and I'd gone to, and I feel very silly for this now because I feel like my whole birthing team should have paid more attention to this. But I went to a chiropractor and I said, look, I've read up about this. I am a journalist. I don't want anything to go wrong during birth. I don't want to be feeling this pain now. And then something happens during birth. And, you know, my, uh, I have like an injury. He said, no, 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 it's very unlikely. Um, not going to happen don't worry you're just experiencing what's like just normal like pelvic girdle pain anyway uh during birth um I did I experienced a very rare kind of birth injury and I think the quickest way for me to describe it was that like my pelvis kind of popped apart in the front um which which can happen to a degree I think um you know uh a lot of people, you know, there will be movement in that area so that baby can come through and, you know, um, it's not always, I don't think a bad thing or extremely painful or whatever, but mine was kind of catastrophic. And the more I tried to tell my partner and the midwife that something terribly wrong had happened, the more my midwife kind of insisted that I need to push. So I was bearing down on this bone and these ligaments and whatever that had torn and 
um, it was it was just indescribable. And I remember the I, I just didn't receive much compassion from the midwife. And I remember feeling this terrible grinding pain. Um, you know, in my in my pelvis. And it was, you know, and it was then that uh, I said to my partner, like, something's wrong. We have to have to go to the hospital. So it was, I'd gone into labor, labor at 5 p.m. the night before. And at 7 o'clock in the morning, the following morning, we left my parents' house. And Chad, my partner, rushed me to the hospital. And I think what was very difficult is my midwife was just not supportive. She was sort of giggling a little bit. And, you know, she was like, no, no, just sort of bear down on the floor and just get the baby out, you know, when we got to the hospital. Um, but when the, I think it was one of the head surgeons in Obsangani examined me, he just started screaming at the midwife and um, yeah, push comes to shove. Ollie was actually uh, transverse in a transverse slice. So he was never going to come out and no one had picked that up. And the thing with my pelvis had happened. So then I had an emergency C-section um, and probably my favorite time of the whole birth was when I got the spinal block and the pain just disappeared. Um, so it's almost like if I were to describe my birth, it would be the first home birth part, which was beautiful and going so well. And I really, really loved being at home and in the water. Uh, and then because of this sort of rare birth complication and my very irresponsible midwife, um, it sort of all went to pot really, but yeah. So that that was my birth. Gosh, I can't believe they didn't pick up on that. That's astonishing. Yeah, yeah. it it was, and I just feel like nobody, even after the fact, you know, when I was in the hospital, the nurses didn't realize I'd had a C section, so they sort of were forcing me to do everything. Um, with this pelvis and everything. So it, it was just, it was horrible. <laughs> wow. Um, God, I was just like sat here with my hand on my head, just picturing this whole, this whole story. So, so what, so what happened afterwards then? Did you have to stay in the hospital for a few days? Talk to us about the recovery. What then happened? Well, I think this is where, things could have really sort of been resolved. I think if I'd had a kind of debriefing experience, um, perhaps if my midwife had said to me, how do you feel? Um, how do you feel about what happened? Everything's okay, you got baby out, well done. You know, if, if, I, if I'd had that kind of affirmation and that sense of acknowledgement about the pain, the physical pain and my fear, I, I think everything, I, I don't think my mental health would have taken such a dip, but because I felt so abandoned and neglected and because absolutely no mention was made of my pelvis whatsoever, you know, I could see the, I don't know if it's the bones or, you know, the little parts, but they were like sticking out, you know, they looked like they were going to protrude out of my skin, almost, you know, towards my hips, they were so far apart. So, and, and no one sort of said anything so I think my medical care was also just terrible. Um, but then a couple of days later, I was at home. I stayed in the hospital, I think, for three days, which is normal for a C-section. And then I was sent home and my midwife did a home visit. Uh, and at this point, she told me that she was actually pregnant. Uh, and that's why she went and slept during my birth. Um, 
Oh when she was noticing that something was going wrong and she said to me uh, and these were her exact words I've never had anything go wrong in a birth you're the first one <gasps> and I think that was kind of it for me that's awful it's almost like it's you you know it's you it's it, you're wrong in a way there's that implicit yeah. message I've never had something go wrong. Absolutely. And I think what was quite astonishing to find out afterwards is that there have been similar stories. I've heard multiple stories actually about the same midwife from other mothers, you know, so it was also a blatant lie, mm. uh, but it, it almost felt like how, um, how you know, if, if, a, if, if someone wants to slut shame you or whatever, they'll, they'll call you a slut after you've slept with them or something like that. And it yeah. almost felt like that, like she was passing over the shame and the guilt and the responsibility to me and my body. And she was saying, you failed, yeah. your pain, everything that went wrong is on you. So, so, so from then, that obviously must have been very hard for you to cope with, that kind of comment. I mean, yeah. I think it was one in a series of comments and kind of, um, how should I put it, uh, just insinuations mm. from many people around me. And, you know, being in a very conservative place, um, like East London, it was already a thing that I'd had a baby out of wedlock. <laughs> so oh, which gosh. just makes me laugh hysterically now because I just would have told everyone to fuck off if I was like my age I am now but you know, yeah. when you're 26 and you've come home from Southeast Asia you know like literally knocked up abroad <laughs> and you come home to your hometown and you're that girl who got pregnant there was already like I already carried this huge sense of like moral failure in mm. a way and this whole sense of like my parents sent me to university. They sacrificed so much that I could have, you know, a good career and everything. And look, I just threw it all away and I just fucked up my life. So I, I think there was so much more to all of this than, than just perhaps that midwife's words, but it almost like that was the catalyst then for everything to sort of, I would say like funnel down into the single awful energy around my birth. And that kind of just, I want to say spilled out mm. into the rest of my life after that, you know, it just poisoned everything. Gosh. And that early stage of parenting, um, cause obviously there's the baby blues, which we all get. I remember I was crying my eyes out in hospital and, but I knew, you know, when you're really, really kind of upset, but deep down, you know, you're okay. And then there's times where you're really, really upset, but you know, you, this is, this is not okay. And it's probably not going to go away. Uh, when I had the baby blues, I knew it was going to go away. So talk to us about that postpartum period when you knew it was something more than just the, the teary baby blues that everyone gets. I think I was dealing with two things. So I was dealing with PTSD from my birth. Um, so I think about three days after being home, uh, I started having flashbacks and I started getting these, I, I would say maybe it was like muscle memory trauma or, you know, spasms. And to this day, when I speak about my birth, I start to feel the same pain in my pelvis again. So 
I think my body was carrying this trauma in one sense. There was that stream of things. Uh, and, and then there was this stream of me wanting so desperately to bond with this baby and, you know, love this baby. Uh, and then there was the stream that was sort of carrying this, the undertone, the overtone, you know, and just override everything. And that was this strange, I would say, disconnect. It was an absolute disconnect. Uh, I was so stuck in this body that was sore that the idea of bonding with my son just seemed like it just sort of seemed, you know, and not unnecessary, but almost just impossible at that point. Mm. Um, and, and I think because I'd had, you know, I've sort of always, I've been on antidepressants since I was 18. So I've always struggled with my mental health. Uh, and I think I had had some kind of like, uh, you know, antenatal depression. Mm. So I don't think there was a particular moment when I realized, okay, this isn't going to go away. It just, it was almost like, you know, walking into a storm and then the storm never lifts, you know? And it was just like, okay. And I, I, to be honest, I thought it was that bad for everyone. I really, really didn't know that what I was experiencing was abnormal and that, you know, I had trauma. I thought everyone's like first couple of weeks, first couple of months were, you know, excruciating and torturous. It was only when I think I received help that I realized that I shouldn't have been feeling so terrible for so long. Yeah. I read the statistics one in five for postnatal depression, but apparently it's grossly underestimated. And um, last week I went to an event for mums and there were three women who gave talks and all of them had experienced postnatal depression and the tears, it was just women in, in a circle opening up and speaking and most of the women there had it. So I think it's one of those things that, yeah, people, I think there's a lot of people who just suffer in silence. And so they're not part of the statistic. Absolutely. And I think like so many of us sort of soldier on thinking, oh, well, you know, they said motherhood is tough and mm. this is motherhood. So, you know, it's, it's, you shouldn't be surprised that it feels this bad, but you, you know, and I think, I think I did start to sort of say strange things to the people around me, um, you know, and I did start to have very intrusive thoughts and that's what then made me think, okay, maybe I'm going over the edge a little. Uh, and it was, I remember my mom was driving me around uh, it was before six weeks before I could drive and she was driving me and Ollie around and I remember saying I don't feel any connection to this baby I feel like he is a changeling I feel like the baby that was in my belly was taken away and I don't know who this is and I remember my mom looking in the rearview mirror and kind of going oh you, you know that's really not normal um, and I think I, th I think on one hand, there is this sort of tendency to pathologize uh, mothers for feeling anything but pure bliss, you know, in the first couple months of motherhood. I think, you know, sometimes we'll call something uh, perhaps postpartum depression, but in a way, you know, I think a lot of women are, are reacting quite naturally to very unnatural circumstances, which is enduring pain, sleep deprivation, um, you know, a little outside support and, and all of those things are, are, 
you know, the, when you're crying or feeling suicidal or whatever about that kind of situation, I, I think you're actually reacting quite norm, normally. So I almost feel like in on one hand, postpartum depression is, it's sort of a symptom of the larger problem at play, which is we just don't focus on mothers whatsoever, and especially on emotional and mental health and well-being. Absolutely. And just what you were saying about, well, that there is a bit of a pressure to bond straight away and to be happy mother straight away. And I had the same experience, you know, when they handed Juniper to me, I was like, who is this alien creature? I felt no connection whatsoever. And it was like that, you know, and then, and oh, well, within the first week in the hospital, all I was thinking about is why, why am I not feeling this? And I was hunting out for the love. Why can't I feel this love? But actually, I bet there are so many people who have these experiences, you know, not connecting straight away. It's, it's a marathon, what you have to go through with your body and the pain, like you say. Exactly. And I think, I, I, I think um, what, what maybe I... I think what I wished someone had done was to hear maybe the kind of hints I was dropping, which was, you know, I'm not really okay whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, and to, you know, if, if I look at it like quite prosaically or, you know, logically, I had undergone so much awful shit to get this baby into the world. You know, if anyone had put me through it, uh, I'd be a total meme being like, you know, you've got to cut toxic people out your life kind of yes, thing. Yes. But no one expects you to feel like ambivalence <laughs> towards your baby. Like, yes. hello, like you fucked me up coming into this yeah. world. I'm kind of resentful right now. Like, I don't like you. <laughs> Loud and clear. I'm so glad yeah. you're honest about this. So talk to us about how, how just on with this theme, how did it affect your parenting journey? It, it was so strange. I think there were just two parts of myself that were at war with each other, you know, and, and there was the, the part that really, really loved my son. And, you know, when he was quiet, I suppose we all love our children when they're sleeping. <laughs> but, um, you know, there were those, there were those like blissed out moments and I breastfed for a very long time. I breastfed until Ollie was almost four. Um, wow. And that was very purposeful because, uh, you know, at first I thought, okay, I'll just breastfeed for six months and then I'll just breastfeed for a year. But I think uh, sort of continuing breastfeeding and being so passionate about feeding my child was a way of forcing me to bond. You know, I think there was a part of me that said, okay, um, this is a surefire way to create some oxytocin and make you bond. So you will put your nipple in that baby's mouth and you will love him, you know? And I think like the physical bond uh, is is what came before for me. And then slowly but surely um, I got to know him and then figure everything out. But for me, it's kind of, it's difficult to almost extrapolate what was normal and what wasn't, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because at the same time as all of this, you know, it was sort of going on, I started to have intrusive thoughts. Um, so I had intrusive thoughts plenty about harming myself and jumping off a bridge. And, you know, I often used to think while I was driving, um, just take your seatbelt off and just drive into a wall. He'll be fine. He'll be in the car seat, but you'll die, you know? And and I th- I think at first I was just like, oh, you know, everyone fucking feels like this, you know, who doesn't want to just jump off a cliff when someone's keeping you awake all night. But um, I think when the thoughts, when, when they became almost more visual, 
um, you know, I became very afraid of bathing my son. I was so, so scared that I was going to drown him. And I really, really struggled with expressing this because I was so afraid of saying to someone, I'm having thoughts of harming myself and my child. I don't want to do it, but these thoughts are there and I can't do anything thing about it. Um, but I was afraid someone would take away my son. And I remember telling my partner at the time, who was as confused and as traumatized by my birth and I, probably as depressed, you know, with everything that was going on. Uh, I remember telling him, you know, this is this is what's going on in my head. Like, this is where I'm at. I, I'm so scared that I'm going to drive into a tree or, you know, that I'm just going to, you know, sort of hold... Ollie and me under the, you know, something like that. I said, I don't want to, but I keep feeling this way. And I remember him saying to me, you know, that's really messed up. You shouldn't tell anyone that. And, you know, that came from a place of his own fear. And, you know, we were both kind of marching through this strange thing together because we'd never heard of anyone going through birth trauma. We'd never spoken to anyone who had struggles bonding with their baby. Um, so those, you know, my parenting in the early days was characterized by this terrible fear of myself and what I might do. And it was almost like I was split in two and the one part of me was hurting so much and just wanted to bond with my child. And I almost felt like there was this malevolent aspect, which now I know was actually OCD, you know, um, and the intrusive thoughts and very bad postnatal depression, but that was making me afraid of myself. And, you know, you have got to be an authority when you're a mother. It's you've, it's one of the reasons that you clash with your own mom when you've had a baby. You know, you've got to feel like you're in control. And I, I didn't feel that, you know. Um, and I, I had quite a few of the grandmoms, you know, and the great grannies around me who were kind of saying, oh, she's got weak milk. You know, and I, I think <laughs> I think if one part of the whole journey had been lighter, I could have got through. But because everything was just difficult um, and no one was picking up that I wasn't okay, that, yeah, I, I, I just parented blindly. I did everything I was supposed to. My child was always fed. You know, I played with him all day. I loved him, whatever. But you know, I did it with this terrible fear uh, and this absolute sense of foreboding and dread um, and constant suicidal ideation. Wow. When did you get help, Megan? I think it's strange. Um, I remember sitting at my mother-in-law's house one day and I just burst into tears. And I, I think, I think I just started saying, you know, I'm so traumatized that birth was so horrible. I was so scared. And I think everything came tumbling out. And my mother-in-law is a very caring person, but she's not, um, you know, we, we wouldn't normally have a conversation like this. And I remember her speak at that moment, she sort of hugged me. And I think she had tears in her eyes and she said, I also had a very, very frightening birth. I, I understand. And then I kind of looked at her because she was the first person to say something like this to me. And she explained how uh, she'd had Chad when she was a teenager. And she'd also had quite a traumatic birth in the sense that she hadn't known what labor pains were. She was extremely young. You know, there was no father in the picture. She was on her own. 
and she was on her own in the hospital when he came and she she didn't know he was coming and the women in my partner's family have very quick births you know they birth within an hour uh so it was all very sudden and she experienced deep trauma and she explained to me that you know after that birth she just sort of just been prescribed like a number of pills and she'd never you know people kind of didn't attend to the fact that she'd had this trauma they just masked all the symptoms so I remember in that conversation I was like okay hang on a sec I'm not a freak like I'm not a terrible person I have just undergone something uh and I think I think I spoke to his mom or, or she spoke to my partner and there's a lot of like memory lapses in this time um but I remember my partner taking me to a doctor and the doctor writing a letter for, I think, a psychologist. Um, but for some reason, he put me on, um, oh, I'm, I'm going to Eglinol, which apparently is a medication they don't really give anywhere else except South Africa. But it's, it's, a, it's an antipsychotic that they prescribe to women when their milk isn't coming in. It's got like a positive effect on your milk supply. Uh, as well as just helping you to like cope in the first few days, um, which definitely helped. And then I remember kind of tearing open the letter he'd written and seeing that he said uh, that I possibly, well, <laughs> almost definitely had postpartum depression and I needed to see someone ASAP. But I think from there, it was quite patchy in a way. I didn't have you know, long-term therapy. There wasn't like counseling or debriefing. Mm -hmm. It was only really when my son was about, I'd say a year or maybe even 18 months that I went to see a psychiatrist in Cape Town because I couldn't get to see a psychiatrist in East London because um, the the waiting period, I think it was eight months at the time. So I flew up to Cape Town. And I think when I was prescribed medication by a psychiatrist in Cape Town and told look no you very definitely you know have xyz I think that was the start of actually truly healing in a way mm. um and maybe if I'd received help like earlier on it would have been a lot better but it's, it's sort of we were just all caught in the fray everything was just you know I, I don't think people realize like an unplanned pregnancy catches a lot of people on the hop you know this kind of sense of never quite catching up and you know I I think my sort of emotions and mental health were just also just all caught up in this sort of shitstorm. So, mm. um, yeah, it was, it, I think it was not the only issue. So it was kind of difficult to give it the attention it possibly needed. Mm. Just what you said um, earlier on about, you know, if you had had that birth debrief, someone to really listen to you and to what happened to you maybe it would have turned out differently and anyone listening you know if you have had birth trauma seek help early on and get that conversation going and have someone listen to you you know I just think that you know how you perceive something and how you interpret something is how it will affect you so if you perceive your birth as being traumatic it will, it will be traumatic for you. Um, and that's not to say it's in your control, but it is to say that someone from the outside might not perceive it as having been, you know, the terrible ordeal that you perceive it to be. But what matters is that you were afraid and the feelings you experienced are valid. So, you know, and I'd like to definitely say that. I mean, the beginning of my birth was beautiful. 
it was really beautiful and there was definitely a before and after but at home you know in the water it was quite idyllic you know it was blissful I felt very empowered you know and like you say if perhaps the midwife had sort of attended to things quite early on uh, and just said hey let's talk about this shit you know it was a bit of a clusterfuck but it's okay how do you feel it's right to be ambivalent about this um, definitely I, I think I would have kind of got on with it but it's it's very very important and yeah pops I just like to reiterate what you said now if you if anyone has had a birth where you know there's just something niggling there's just details that you're uncomfortable with you know um there was obstetric violence or or, or something that just made you feel afraid or undermined it's totally valid and you can talk about it to people there are professionals who will sit and listen to you and help you work through that absolutely and it just comes back to the point that birth is important what happens in birth is important it's not healthy healthy mother heavy healthy baby which i've been speaking on in the last podcast it absolutely does matter what goes on because that memory i don't know about you megan but i find i think about juniper's birth pretty much on a weekly basis like it, it's it's present it's still with me yeah. it's it's alive yeah. you know yes pops that's such a good way to phrase it it's alive it's very much its own sort of living entity I think you know and I, I think some people sort of have quite like nondescript births you know they they get the baby out and it's sort of all okay and maybe they don't have that but like I think if you had a very empowering experience or you know the opposite I think that it does kind of stay there. Uh, and I absolutely loved your last podcast. Um, it really, really, I was just reading some of the, the extracts in that on your Instagram story. And this healthy baby, healthy mom or happy mom thing is such a crock of shit. It really you know? is. Fuck. Like way, way to gaslight everyone, way to make a mom feel like she's not human and, you know, she's just an incubator. Absolutely. Megan, you know, I was thinking about um, because I I was thinking to myself, why am I why am I still flipping reliving this experience? I don't necessarily have trauma, but it's just in my bloody mind. And Mm -hmm. I thought I need to find out if anyone else is experiencing this. So I put a post out on Reddit asking has has childbirth had a profound impact on your life? How often do people think about this? And the response was overwhelming. I would say probably 95% of women said, you know, regardless of trauma, I think about it on a weekly basis. So this is big. It is. It is. You know, and I I think um, because we don't have that village structure sort of thing and we don't have this, you know, well, in South Africa, definitely with the way our society is like kind of stratified and, you know, with like apartheid spatial planning and everything, so many people have been separated from their support systems and it still exists in our cities today. So you, there's the sense of, you know, I didn't grow up seeing people give birth and I didn't mm-hmm. grow up seeing breastfeeding. Uh, and I certainly didn't grow up seeing people, you know, sort of go to sleep and die in their beds. And, you know, there wasn't any of that like real, uh, dealing with mortality and being in touch with it and I think that's what is so profound about birth is it puts you you know you're bringing life into the world but in essence you're also so uh, you're made so aware of your mortality and your baby's mortality and the importance of both coming out of this well and healthy and alive and I think because 
everything is so sanitized. We don't talk about birth, you know, we don't talk about how it can be wonderful to push a baby out of your vagina um, or, you know, the converse. And we, we don't see people's bodies in these states of distress or transformation um, that I think that also just kind of, uh, you know, maybe like explodes it all a little bit because we, we just, we're so like isolated from, from nature and the natural way of our bodies and things and the business of bringing humans into this world and humans going out of it that, you know, there's that disconnect. We kind of just expect to, you know, to, I don't know, just sort of be like a library book, you know, we pop back, we just return at the library. <laughs> totally. And we go to hospitals with strangers to go and give birth. Oh. Whereas other mammals, you know, I'm, I'm so glad you started off with your beautiful home birth. You had yeah. that experience of laboring at home. But but Megan, you're a writer. You wrote the book of poems, Milk Fever. I imagine that was, you know, hugely therapeutic for you. Do you mind just talking to us about your book? Oh, absolutely. Um, so it was weird. Milk Fever um, started as a like one line I wrote three days after I got home um, from the hospital. I, I, I can't remember quite what I said, but it was was definitely um, sort of my first attempt to trying to make sense of what had happened. And then that line turned into a poem and that poem eventually turning to, you know, a whole book of poems. And unintentionally, I think I was trying to figure out motherhood uh, through this book and what you bring to motherhood. You know, so much of the book is about spirituality and sexuality and girlhood and, you know, all these kind of childhood elements that actually come to the fore when you're pregnant. And, you know, like mothering makes you think about how you were mothered. Uh, and parenting a child makes you think about how you were as a child and who you were and what you went through. And I think um, my book was a means of, you know, I, 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 I've said this quite a few times, but it was like putting on a spacesuit and going out to this strange galaxy that is motherhood and finally having a, a way to navigate it and walk through the space and, you know, be able to breathe. Um, maybe in a way it, yeah it was just kind of like my, my ticket into making sense of the whole thing wow yeah I, I did actually read um a part with Tom and but he thought it was excellent so I will leave a link um I'll leave a link to your book <laughs> thank you yeah I I just want to say as well I think like what was possibly also just like, I think disappointing for me, for me is that I remember going on those hospital tours. I don't know if you do it in the UK, but like as part of your antenatal sort of education and classes, you know, here you go, you go tour the hospital. And I remember saying to my partner, and I'm sorry, this is so crude, but I remember saying, I was looking at these, these theatres and looking at the maternity wards and all these lights and these overhead lights and this sterile environment. And I remember going, would you happily take a shit? in front of all these people in this environment with everyone looking on. And he was like, no, Jesus. And I was like, then how the fuck am I supposed to push a baby out of my vagina in this environment? It's so awful. I, I don't want any of this. And I, I think, you know, uh, perhaps, you know, that, that largely informed my experience to try, you know, have a home birth. And I was really, really excited about it. And, um, I think that was part of the the sort of sadness in a way of of how things went wrong is that I tried to take an empowering route 
mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, so many people warned me, you know, like people are very against home births um, in South Africa. And so many people were like, don't be crazy. You know, that's dangerous. That's irresponsible. Uh, and I think because I did kind of have the worst case scenario, which is, doesn't always happen, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I, I think that that's what sucked so much is I tried to go this really beautiful, powerful route and it, you know, it, it, it sort of had just soured, um, you know. So how has postpartum depression shaped who you are today? Well, I think it's definitely made me who I am, which is such a bloody cliche, but, you know, I wrote my book and yeah, I... Yeah, the book I, wouldn't exist, right? I thought that. Yeah, it wouldn't. But the, the other thing is that um, I, I tend to not be a very discreet person. So, you know, if I'm going to have a fight with someone or whatever, my boyfriend hates this about me, but like, I will fight with you in public. You know, I'm not discreet. I, I think I can, you know, if I'm feeling something, it will kind of just happen wherever I am. I'll burst into tears in the middle of Woolies. Um, and, you know, I think I exposed myself in in quite a lot of ways in trying to, like, reach out to people and, and make this known because I was like, there's no fucking way I'm alone in this. You know, eventually once I started reading more up about postpartum depression um, and especially with the intrusive thoughts, you know, um, and I think that really sparked my passion is such a shit word but it really did spark my passion for you know conversations around empowering women empowering birthing parents you know and just just creating that that safe space to talk and you know it really it it made me so so aware of what people go through on a daily basis and how many how lacking, you know, the support structures are that that are really vital to our well-being. And yeah, I I really could have done without the postpartum depression. It it definitely stole a lot from me and a lot from Ali, you know. Um to the point of, you know, I, I really, really just it would have been good to not feel so bad for so long. Mm. Um but the experience um you know, and, and I think what's also important to say is I might have experienced postpartum depression regardless of my birth because of my mental health history. It might have happened anyway, mm-hmm. you know. But, yeah, I think, you know, since then I've been on medication and I regularly attend to my mental health. I see my psychiatrist. I see a psychologist. So in a way I think it, it's made me center myself and my my health and my mental health a lot and make me sensitive to you know that of other people's yeah it's interesting you say that because I I frequently when I'm going through some sort of you know um, poor mental health or any sort of negative uh, type of event in life I I just think this is going to help me to understand it's going to help me to understand better it's it's a learning and I'll I'll have more empathy for people who are in the same situation whereas if we're not exposed to any of that then what are we just happy people it's not you know it provides texture you know enriches our lives um when we have these experiences pops I really love that because I've been thinking a lot about like uh, the nature of life (laughs) but I've been really thinking so much about like you know what it means to exist and 
And in a way, yeah, you're so right. We're not just here to be happy. And I think that's part of that whole like toxic positivity movement, you know, is this denial of like the whole full spectrum of emotions. And the, the fact of the matter is we're here to live full human you know, emotionally evolved, rich lives. And that does involve pain. And like you say, it adds texture and it makes you human. Mm. Uh, and I, I just wish it was, you know, more and un people understood that, uh, you know, experiences like this can sort of level you out and deepen you out and, and really shape you. And you they're just a part of growing up, I think, and getting older. Absolutely. Wow, Meg, this has been incredible. Thank you so much for having me. It's, this is such an amazing space. And yeah, you're just doing such amazing work, you know, highlighting mom's voices and speaking about things so openly. I'm really, really like privileged to be here. Wow, guys. I don't know about you, but I was just gripped at Megan's every word and she was just so honest. I've never, ever heard it put like that. And I've just got so much respect for her, for her, for her honesty and ability to just speak out freely like that. I hope if you are pregnant, then this has been informative for you. And I hope that if you've been through this, then you may find some comfort in uh, Megan's words. If anyone would like to send her a message, she is on Instagram. So I'm going to leave her link down below. And of course, I will leave a link to her book of poems. Thank you so much for listening, guys. As always, give me a follow on Spotify for more exciting podcast updates and leave a review on Apple iTunes if you've enjoyed. Thank you.